my hope for the future is that that people will embrace bringing more love and humanity into their work. I mean, that's what I've staked my claim on. That is what we're, you know, my whole heart and soul is all about and what our company and our team is about. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We're in the top one and a half percent of all podcasts in the world, and we're becoming the voice of the most important conversations on the future of work that's confronting business leaders and people today. And as you know, by now, our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the ever-changing convergence of business, technology, and people. Jason, when Keith Compagna and I launched this podcast back in October 2018, almost five years ago, over 300 episodes ago, I couldn't imagine us talking about love in the workplace for any other reason than sexual harassment and hostile environment. And then when you joined me as co-host about two years ago, we sort of crossed the Rubicon from talking all about HR tech and talent acquisition to employee experience, employee well-being, even mental health in the workplace. But we still weren't talking about love in the workplace. There was, that was sort of a topic a taboo topic. It was a four-letter word, love. Well, here we are today, and we're talking about love as a business strategy with our guest, Renee Smith. She is CEO and founder of a company called A Human Workplace, and she'll be taking center stage in just a few minutes on Geek Skeezers and Googleization. But I don't know about you. I'm pretty curious where this conversation will lead, especially after spending the last six weeks studying how our brain, aka neuroscience, can help us get better business results. And specifically, the importance of the neurotransmitter oxytocin. Many listeners may know this as the love or the cuddle molecule. So cuddle up, Googleization Nation, we're going to share some love today. But before we bring on Renee, and before we jump into the perfect labor storm segment, I wanted to share that my new newsletter, it's just three weeks old, has over 3,000 subscribers already. In each issue, I'm debunking some manager myths such as left brain, right brain theory, the human ability to multitask, and an upcoming issue, the myth that we can't teach old dogs new tricks. And I just found out this morning on another meeting that August is unlearning month. So that's pretty fitting. So I've already identified 12 myths manager myths, but I suspect the list will keep growing. The newsletter is free and you can get it at irawolf.beehive, that's B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com. So now it's time for the perfect labor storm, where we focus each week on a disruptive, surprising, or worrisome trend that we believe you should know. First, 40% of global CEOs think their organizations will no longer be economically viable within 10 years. That's from PwC's annual global CEO survey. Another survey revealed that relentless disruption has 75% of CEOs, it's three out of four, anxious that their companies aren't adapting quickly enough, and 85% struggle to know where to start. That's from Alex Partners Disruption Index. And get this, 90%, the number keeps going up. See my trend? 90% of executives recognize the need to act on their organization's capability to grow, but only 5% believe that they have the capabilities required. That's from McKinsey's State of Organizations 2023 report. And getting back to love in the workplace, According to some research published in Harvard Business Review in an article titled, Employees Who Feel Love Perform Better, this will probably make some, some CEOs hair on their back stand up. It reveals that the more love coworkers feel at work, the more engaged they are, and they report higher job satisfaction and improved teamwork. I love it, pun intended there, Ira. <laughs> 
I feel like we need some Tina Turner right now, namely some what's love got to do with it. Well, it sounds like it's got everything to do with it. And today, just like you mentioned, we're going somewhere we haven't gone before on the show as we address this four-letter word in the workplace today, love. And why do I say that it's explicit? Well, if you just heard a lot of those stats about how most leaders feel about the future of their organizations, it feels like there's more and more a disconnect between leaders, organizations, and people inside the organization where we need to really focus on the love and connections there in order for people to feel grounded and be able to feel good about the work that they're doing. But let's be honest, love is probably the most misunderstood construct, not just in work, but in life overall. And to be clear today, the type of love that Renee is going to be sharing with us is more the compassionate, mutually respectful kind, not the intimate and passionate kind. But it is going to bring up some fascinating and controversial questions that we're going to cover with her today, such as does love belong in the workplace? And if it does, what should it look like? And I came across just a couple famous quotes on love that really seem appropriate as we tee up the conversation, get ready to bring Renee in. And these are two quotes on love here. The first one's from John Maxwell. And he said, when you stop loving your people, you should stop leading your people. And then Teddy Roosevelt, most everyone's probably heard this one before. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, there's nobody better to set the record straight for us and help us understand what's love got to do with the workplace than today's guest, Renee Smith. Here's a little bit about Renee before we bring her on in just a minute. Renee's the founder and CEO of A Human Workplace, which is a global movement and consultancy with more than 30 affiliates in the United States and United Kingdom committed to making work more human. She also leads award-winning culture work and has served in the governor's office as director of workplace transformation for the state of Washington. She's also a researcher, a writer, and a speaker who's reached hundreds of audiences in 10 countries making the case for a human workplace. So without further ado, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to today's guest, Renee Smith. Renee, welcome to Jesus Googleization. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Good to see you both. Yeah, well, we've got a lot to talk about today around love, and you are the love expert when it comes to love in the workplace. So I've got to naturally ask this question. How did you get interested in this topic of love in the workplace? So I was working in Washington state government of all places, uh, directing a division in a state government agency that was pretty entrepreneurial with some, you know, an entrepreneurial leader and, and a lot of support to be creative and exploring. And we were doing a lot of continuous improvement work and culture change work to create the context for that improvement and innovation, and which meant needing to create an environment where people felt safe to speak up and share their ideas and point out problems and ask hard questions and report bad news and, you know, as well as celebrate the good things that happen too. You can't get better unless you, you know, do all of those things. And so that's the work that we were doing culturally. And in the flow of all that and in the middle of all that work, I asked our the director of our agency at the time, Chris Liu, I said, you know, hey, Chris, he said, you know, senior leader of the agency, executive, basically said, Chris, what do you think is the most important job of a leader in all this work that we're doing? We're kind of having one of those heart to heart conversations. And I wanted to see where he was at. And I'll never forget his answer. He immediately replied to eliminate fear from the workplace. That was a gorgeous answer to me, you know, as a person who is a, uh, you know, trained in OD organization development and a student of leadership and management and you know, this is the core of my work and it aligned for me and resonated. And I, so it was a beautiful answer and something that I'd seen him work to do and, and that we tried to do. And But it also seemed like only half the story as I kind of pondered that because it became clear that, okay, so if we're, if we're decreasing fear in the workplace, something has to take fear's place. And what is that? And I came to the conclusion that it's love, that fear and love are our two primary human experiences. These, you know, the two opposites all the negative that we experience in life essentially comes from fear. All of the positive has its roots in love. And with that clarity, you know, kind of pondered that, dug into that myself, and then said it out loud in a really public place, like a really public place, but like 400 government workers in the room. And you could have heard a pin drop. Like, you know, probably, you know, some of your listeners would have that, that, uh, that response too. But I, you know, quickly re explained, you know, we love our work and we love those we work with and, we, and who we serve. And we want to know that we belong and we matter and that what we, you know, what we contribute counts. And when we essentially feel that love, we can give and do and be our best. 
And in saying that, there was spontaneous applause in the room that day. And it sent me, you know, on this quest. Other people would, you know, came up to me later and said, I was in the room when you said that, keep saying that. And like I said, I was, went on this quest to really dig in and understand love better. And it sent me into a, a research project. It sent me into working in government with uh, bringing more love into government. And then finally out into the world, into the rest of the world. So that's the beginning. That's incredible. And and so before we dig in any further mm -hmm. in terms of fear and love, mm -hmm. maybe let's also kind of set some expectations for our listeners in terms of definitions, because love is probably one of the most used but mm -hmm. misunderstood terms, not just in work, but just in general. We right. throw it around all the time. When you're talking about love in the workplace, can you give us kind of like an operational definition sure. of what that means or what it looks like in the work that you do? Yeah. So, so I think several different kind of angles on that question are helpful. The one that I like to start with is a definition of love by my friend Moshe Engelberg, who wrote the book, The Amari Wave, Amari being another word for love. And his definition is that love is the energy that uplifts and connects, the energy that uplifts and connects. And I just appreciate that so much. And, you know, one of the things that I will say that we've found, and this goes for anything else that I'll say here too, and kind of expanding that definition, that there's a sort of a sort of a simplistic way to think about this that doesn't serve us very long. That that this work, that this practice of love, embracing love as a workplace norm and value and habit and practice is nuanced and um, takes us leaning continually in to mature our understanding of what it means for each of us individually and then for us collectively. So, but it's helpful. The energy that uplifts and connects, that's a good place to begin. When I ask people to tell me a story about a time when they felt loved at work, which is part of my qualitative research, I got a whole variety of answers and, and you know, kind of arch, um, archetypal stories that people tell. But also, you know, people will often say, oh, I felt love when this happened. Some people will use the L word and, and kind of go there easily. And other people will say, you know, I wouldn't have thought about it as love. But now that you mentioned it, I had this experience where I felt respect, trust, kindness, empathy and compassion, inclusion and belonging, appreciation, courage and challenge, these different kind of variations on love. And, and essentially what people were describing was the operational definition of what love looks like at work, what they want to experience at work. And if they experience those things, they will connect that with feeling loved. I, I think it's also, it's been helpful to think about or for me to reference the work of the book, A General Theory of Love by a psychiatrist, Lewis, Lannan, and Amini. They talk about this, the neurophysiological attachments that we need to form with each other in order to be stable and well. And so it's a, you know, we have this, this amygdala, this, you know, part of our brain that helps us to form these attachments and, and create these connections and that we cannot be neurophysiologically stable and well without those human attachments. And connections, which gets to some of the uh, the neuroscience that you were referencing, Ira, before that you know the oxytocin and the oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin experiences that we need to have and, and with each other to be healthy and whole human beings, and that there are experiences together like that are uh, different forms of love that we experience as well. It, just before we we jumped on the air, we were, I was talking about the the class I took, so. I, I apologize. I'm acutely kind of everything. I'm looking through a lens of everything's now neuroscience. How, which parts of our brains light up, which parts don't. So I, I know enough to be dangerous and uh, keep me straight if I if I sway off, you know, if I go off on on a tangent. But but the reality is is that you know people might be familiar with oxytocin, and there there's a, a neuroscientist Paul Zak. Z-A-K. I encourage people to look him up. Uh, he actually has an acronym uh, using uh, oxytocin, and he talks about it in you know in the workplace, you know at work in business, what what it looks like and what are what are the stages. And you know in the past, and it was certainly my reference point prior, you know to probably the course, but even beyond that, is that you know oxytocin is released when you give people a hug. When you're up close and personal, it's a touch, and you know, it was it was the mother the mother child bond, you know, that there was an enormous amount of oxytocin. So when people hear that, when they hear love, it's like, well, we can't, you know, our attorneys our attorneys right. say, no, we can't. We we've, we've got to watch the hugging, especially, and it's not even between male and female. It's 
between the same sexes and the same genders, you know, anymore. So it seems to be, I guess, a, I, hopefully it's not a Rubicon that we have to cross anymore, but, you know, somewhat of a gap when we start talking about love as a business strategy and having CEOs go down that direction. So in working with these companies, other than, you know, speaking to 400 government workers and getting applause when, when you talk about that, I can only imagine of, you know, what the challenge is, especially look even at CEOs saying, we need everybody back to work. We need everybody in a physical space. We need them to return to the office. But it's usually not under the framework of, we need more love in the workplace. It's like, we need people to be more productive. It's not that, because as soon as they get back, it's like, we brought you back, not to huddle, not not to hug each other. It's a fine line, I guess, we're, we're trying to cross. Yeah, so gosh, so a bunch of things come to mind. And, and one thing I guess I wanna point out is that, so I, I um, believe and um, believe it to be true that we are here on this planet, essentially to learn to love or to rediscover how to love in every area of our life. That if we back up from all the other things that we want to do or here to do, that, 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 that that's what this life boils down to. And, and so, you know, when I say the word love, it's natural for us to think about our closest relationships, our family, our friends, um, those are, you know, could be chosen family, who, you know, those people who we're, who we're most bonded to. And, and we can naturally kind of quickly think about love in that term. But we can also go to the other end of the spectrum and think about, uh, you know, walking down the street and having, you know, somebody trip and fall or some kind of, you know, crisis when someone needs help. And we stop and we help. And there is an encounter that is loving with that perfect stranger. And there's a version of love, a type of love that we give to a stranger in public. And similarly, there are, you know, community spaces or, you know, clubs or organizations or, you know, spaces in, in different parts of our lives where we engage with each other. And there are types of love that show up there as well. And because, you know, another place that we are as humans is our work. There are kinds of love that people want and need at work and that workplaces benefit from, you know, if we bring them. So this is, I think, one of the things that's been most revelatory and, and helpful to the teams that we work with is to understand that it's not this trade-off. Like often people will say, can, can I, like, can I really love people and get results? And that is just like all wrong in our thinking. Like we have to like put that thinking aside, this idea that it's it's one or the other and that they're somehow in conflict because like what you learned, right? In 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 the neuroscience studying that you're, you've been doing and what I've learned in studying neuroscience is that if that, that loving, safe, um, caring experiences, compassionate experiences trigger these positive hormones in us, this uh, the trust and connection that allows us to relax, step forward, um, trust, share, contribute ideas, speak up, as I was saying before, speak up, share, um, um, you know, problems, give our best, be loyal, you know, learn and grow, all of the things that we need people to do at work. And so, in fact, instead of it being um, love and productivity, if you will, being in conflict, they're absolutely interdependent. So it's not, can I have one or the, can I have them both? It's that you can't have one without the other. You can't have productivity without having true product, sustained productivity without creating a loving, caring, more human supported environment. And it feels like, Renee, that for too long, we've come at it as leaders the wrong way, thinking if you get the results I'm looking for in terms of productivity, then I'm going to show you love and appreciation. Right. We've gotten that backwards, right? When it comes to what needs to come first, doesn't love have to come first? Right. Before you can expect productivity or any of those other lag measures that we like to measure in business for organizational health, isn't love kind of the first thing it, that it has is, to be in place? I mean, I value you as a human being. I see you. I, you know, you're here. I believe in you. We're going to work together. We're going to build a trusting relationship. I'm going to know you. And out of that, yes, we together are going to mutually do great work together. Yes, it, they, the love needs to come first. And if you think about like stepping back from that, where do we learn to love? You know, primarily in our families and primarily in our schools and, you know, in those you know, early relationships, which are often, you know, what's the term that I want, sort of contingent, right? Or predicated on, I'll love you if, right? Yep. So you be good and then I'll, I'll give you my approval. And so, you know, we kind of learn early on to be on edge and to be, to be fear-based and 
and to have, you know, love will be withheld if I'm not a good, good girl or good boy. And, you know, but what somewhere along the line, we've lost this notion that, and the, the fundamental that we need to create a sense of safety and connection with each other in order to, to be whole and human and, and, and be able to eventually perform as well. There's two things that you, you both said, and I, I don't want to let these slip by because I think they're really, really important uh, of sort of debunking ways that we used to think about things. So, you know, Jason, you, you had just said, and I know I think uh, I, I'm on so many interviews and things. I think I might have said this on another GGG or another interview that I did. But we used to think that the thought was engaged are engaged and happy employees are more productive. That was the mood. So we need to have everybody engaged and everybody needs, you know, it started out satisfied, happy, then it became engaged and then it became employee experience. So we sort of moved through this, this progression over the years. And if they are happy and engaged, then they are more productive. When it, in fact, turns out to be, if they're productive, they're happy and engaged and will feel more connected. And, and they found that to be true, that people that say through surveys that they're happy and engaged, when they measured their, their the, the brain, the, act, the active parts of their brain, people that said they were engaged on paper weren't engaged in their brain. They, they, they didn't feel that connection. Mm-hmm. Where people who were highly productive turned out to be having these serendipitous moments. They felt part of a bigger group. So I, I think you were spot on saying we, we got it backwards. But the other thing that you said was really interesting. And, and again, I, I don't know where this, where what triggered this. It might have just been evolution over the last couple of weeks is that I've studied curiosity, creativity forever. And it's pretty well known that infants, toddlers are highly curious and then adults kill that. Right. Is it the same with love? Because we come out and there's that natural mm-hmm. bond between the mother and the child. So when you were talking about that we, that we, not that we need to learn to love, but do we need to unlearn the unlove? <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. like, no, that's not the proper place to hug. That's not the proper place to show emotions. And especially in men mm-hmm. right. versus more women. So. Is, does everybody start out with a high level of love and then uh, as parents and adults, we kill it? I think that may be the case. I mean, it, it, not for everyone necessarily, but the, no. I mean, the socialization, you know, to suppress ourselves, to divide ourselves, to hide portions of ourselves, you know, to to not respond to our natural instinct. I mean, here's the thing. My, the good news that I have for people from the research that I've done, 75 formal interviews, thousands and thousands of workshops, um, workshops working with people on this question of, of how you experience fear at work and how you experience love at work. The, the upshot of that is that, that you don't have to suppress your humanity anymore. Like, please don't suppress your, your natural human instincts to care about people are the right instincts. Those are the instincts that your team members need. You know, if you're a, whether you're a team member or a leader, our team members, we need each other to come fully human uh, into the work and to learn how to do that, to learn what that means in a professional setting. And that's not, you know, all whole, you know, everything like cut loose and, and, you know, dripping, you know, uh, I can't even find the right words, you know, just, you know, everything kind of running rampant. But it is, it, it does mean, as happened on our team, we had a team member who's, whose you know, wife was struggling with cancer. And one Monday he came to us and said in our team meeting online, because we're a virtual team, came and said, she's taken a turn and she only has a few weeks. And we were there with him in that moment and, and have been over since she passed throughout the year in you know, some of the hardest moments of, of his life in a real and human way and didn't expect him to check that at the door on the contrary, wanted him to bring it to us, to be with us as he goes through that so that we can know and support and give quarter, you know, give space and room. But also it's a privilege, like it's a, a, a massive privilege to walk with him through this time. In the same way, you know, there are joys and achievements that people have and, and personally and, and professionally and, you know, in all the aspects of life. And 
we want to celebrate and share those and and know each other and and know what it is to be fully you know human um, for each person and to honor and respect that and to, like tap into that as we are working together because there's a you know there's a unique brilliance that comes from what has made us who we are that we each bring to our work. Renee, you brought up something fascinating right there. Lots of things, but one I want to tee, tee in on a little bit more is you use the word suppress. That almost the way we've kind of designed work over the years in most of our organizations is to suppress the humanities, to suppress those feelings. You leave those feelings at home when you come to work. It's time to focus. There's a job to be done. And then after work's done, then you can go back to feeling those feelings or whatever it is you need to take care of yourself. A dichotomy of that that I've seen play out, some arguments actually online, on forums like LinkedIn, is there's a lot of professionals and researchers that argue over this dichotomy here, and this mm -hmm. is it. Work is an extension of your family. There are people who say, yes, it can and should be. Mm -hmm. And then there's others who say, absolutely not. Do not kind of mm -hmm. conflate family and work, that right. that's just asking for troubles to arise. Right. I would love to hear from your perspective and research, is one side more right than the other? Is it somewhere in the middle? in terms of this dichotomy of work being family and, and being able to open up with those feelings like we do with family? Yeah, it's such an important question and it's interesting. When So when I ask people to tell me a story about a time when they feel afraid at work, one of the stories that they will tell and the language that often gets used is my team is like a family. And it's a common metaphor that people use. And as I teach about this, I like to offer caution about that metaphor and to dig in a little bit to what people are actually trying to say. So um, a, few, a few things, when in terms of using the language of family, it can be problematic because some people don't want to conflate work and family. Work is work, family is family, and, and those are two different groups and they don't want the, the one to reference the other. Some people have not had a positive experience of family. So family has not been loving and uplifting, uplifting and connecting like the family has been in their experience, harmful, painful, traumatic, abusive. And so invoking family isn't always invoking the same thing for everyone. I mean, can be in back, in fact, you know, referencing what we don't mean. And, and then the third thing, so the, the third caution is that that metaphor can be taken too far. And we can think of examples and even sort of industries or sectors of the workforce where this happens, where you're in the family. Once you're in, you're in. We've got your back. You know, it's kind of like, doesn't matter what you do, bad behavior, poor performance. You know, it's like the mob, I got you, man. Right. No, we don't want that. Like, and, and so that's where it can go to the dark side, if you will, and be taken too far. And so we need to use caution with that language. And, and I think what's helpful to think about is what people are really trying to say. And what I've discovered that they're trying to say is that I was a part of this group at work where I knew that I belonged and that I was appreciated and I was seen for who I was and I was accepted. So there's a sense of belonging and acceptance and ability to contribute and be one's true self that, that people are trying to reference when they, you know, reach for family as the metaphor for, you know, for, and as in the language. And teams that are like that, ha that have that sense of belonging and acceptance and care for each other, are, have report in, in, in my research, those who told those stories report incredible performance, like giving the best service of our lives and, and being the most innovative team they've ever worked on and being able to have really good, healthy conflict and disagree and build on each other's ideas and come to better solutions. And they could do that because at the end of the day, they knew that they weren't going to be voted off the island, right? That they would still be part of this team. And so uh, th that's how we, you know, think about this this idea of the team as family. I, I think it's important for teams to have conversations about that. Some, you know, I I will share this, and still people will want to use that language, and 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 it's not for me to say whether they should or shouldn't, but they need to talk about it. They need to understand does this language work for all of us, or you know, could we maybe be a community? Is there you know, is are there other references that we could could make, or other metaphors that we could tap into? that could be just as meaningful, but maybe not invoke something that's painful for some of our team members. 
So, but it's all in the conversation and relationship building. That's what really counts. Fascinating conversation. We're with uh, Renee Smith from A Human Workplace talking about love as a business strategy. We're going to continue this conversation and I'm, I'm going to go back to something I mentioned earlier because this is probably a very uncomfortable conversation for people to have. And maybe it's maybe the four letter word love turns people off. So asking for for CEOs, managers, HR, people that are saying, yeah, this is I, I want to do this, but I'm uncomfortable talking. What's the first step? How do they do that? What does that look like? And and especially you know, whether it's remote or in person, but, you know, either way. So we're going to come back to that. In the meantime, we're going to take a quick two minute break. So stay tuned. We will be right back. And uh, one of the things that we're talking about is building a connected organization. You've been listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We'll be right back. Are you ready to turn your organization into a vibrant, interconnected ecosystem where employees don't just work, but thrive? It's time to reimagine your workplace with every individual contributing uniquely to your collective success. Learn how to empower each team member to discover their own path while aligning with your organization's purpose. Create an environment where job satisfaction, employee engagement, and meaningful work intersect, creating a powerhouse of productivity, innovation, and fulfillment. Let us help you create the Connected Organization, where you build bridges, not walls, between employees and their teams, roles, and your culture. So are you ready to bridge the gap? Let's embark on this journey together. Don't let your employees simply do their jobs and take home a paycheck. Let them connect, collaborate, and create a difference. Step into the future with a connected organization. Because when you're connected, you're unstoppable. Are your employees feeling stuck in just showing up for a paycheck? Is your workforce working harder to get back to normal than adapting to the future? It's time to help them break their addiction to certainty and develop a growth mindset. Developed by one of the world's top-rated future of work thought leaders, AQ Plus Mindset is a powerful tool to help your employees embrace change, adapt faster, and grow on the job. Conveniently delivered to any smartphone or laptop and easy to digest 5-10 to minute lessons. Managers can sit back and watch employee attitude shift towards growth and innovation in just 30 days. Are you ready to help your employees thrive in this ever-changing, never-normal world? Encourage them to show more grit, resilience, adaptability, and unlock their potential? The journey to a growth-filled future starts with a growth mindset. Visit aqplusmindset.com or call 484-373-4300. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're here with Renee Smith, and uh, we've been talking about love as a business strategy. So, Renee, before we went to a commercial break, uh, we were talking about, you know, many listeners. Hopefully, there's many. Li- one is we know we have many listeners. Hopefully, many of those many listeners are wondering about how do I change, shift the conversation? I get it. We're trying to have a more connected organization, you know, whether they call it love or by any other name, how do we do that? And I, and right before, I think we were talking a little bit about reciprocity, that it's going to be, a, it's a two-way street. And, you know, when you're talking about that, that love is a, fa- you know, treating people as a family, it's that, that I feel part of the family, is that it's got to be reciprocal. And uh, this came up in, and again, a, an article I was reading conversation we were having the other day was about trust and part of the the why you know one of the whys is trust and people say well i i i need to trust you but that's not but the other person may not think you're trustworthy trustworthy what what people really want is to be trustworthy and that comes from the other person so you know part of this is i want to care i want to show love i want to i want to show compassion i want to be more empathetic but it really depends on the other person's perception of you to be able to do that. So uh, again, I think there, there's probably a, a million different themes here, a million different challenges. But as someone who's listening right now and says, yeah, I get it. I need to be more, I, I need to do that, but I'm just uncomfortable. What's the steps 
that you would take? So I, I think it can be helpful first for the individual to just reflect on their own experiences. And, and this is certainly, you know, when, when I take um, groups and leadership teams and organizations on a journey to come to sort of come to grips with the business case for love, there's a bit of a, you know, an arc of the moving from understanding fear and its impact through being introduced to love and understanding what that looks like and its impacts and, and a normalization and a sort of coming to understand how those, those two play out. And, and part of that is sharing the stories that people have told me and the, the kinds of fear experiences that people have and how detrimental they are in contrast to the kinds of loving experiences that people have in all of their varieties of respect, trust, kindness, compassion, courage, and so on, and, and how beneficial those are. And so when I share those stories, people identify with them and, and, and it's, it's you know incredibly helpful for to sort of normalize. Oh, that's what you mean. Okay, I understand. So where someone can start on their own is to just do some reflection, to ask yourself, and maybe to do a little bit of journaling or cataloging for yourself of what were times when I felt afraid at work? What was going on? What were those experiences? What happened? What did others do? What did I do? What were the impacts of those experiences? And to sort of and, and maybe other experiences where you've seen people experience fear and, and that same, you know, that same kind of set of questions. Get, get clear for yourself on what fear looks like at work and what the impacts are. And, and I'm not talking about challenge. I'm not talking about a good, healthy sort of on the edge of my seat and trying the new thing. And, you know, they've said I can do this. I'm not sure. And I'm here in an uncomfortable spot. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about toxic fear. I'm talking about betrayal. I'm talking about public shaming. I'm talking about harassment and discrimination. I'm talking about no guidance in the middle of a change, those kinds of fear stories. So catalog those, get clear. And then in contrast, ask yourself and, and do some journaling, some cataloging of what are, what are times when you felt loved at work? And let yourself go there. Let yourself be clear for yourself. What happened? What did you do? What did others do? What were the impacts? What did that experience mean to you? And because I think it needs to start with each of us understanding our own experience and and how that is played out, and then maybe broaden that conversation, you know, into one-on-ones. So, so you know, Jason, we're having a one-on-one, and I'd love to know sometimes when when you felt really cared for and supported, whether or not you use the L word, you know, neither here nor there, but define it: cared for, supported, respected. Um, what what have been some good experiences you've had on this team? And I'd love to hear about that if you're comfortable telling me, like like. To talk about that, and then if there's you know anything that you can describe about times that maybe we ha you haven't felt as safe, kind of opening up that that conversation with team members to just ask like what can I do that would help you to feel more loved, cared for, etc. So you can introduce that into the conversation. You can have a team conversation, and hey, you know we know that this being uh, having this loving, caring experience at work, being more connected, supporting, and bringing our our, our who we truly are as people to work is a crucial part of being productive and effective. So what could that look like for us? Let's, you know, let's talk about that and, and solicit that from the team. Um, and then, you know, I think the other piece is, is that leaders can, aside from sort of exploring it directly, is, is a sort of another direct approach, but, that, but maybe not quite naming it, but it's just doing the work of taking one-on-one -on -one interest in each of your team members. It's spending time to get to know them as human beings, what makes them tick, where they want to learn and grow, what they're excited about, what they're concerned about, you know, to appreciate and value and to hold the mirror up and let them know that you see their efforts in a certain way, like specific and, and, and qualitative. Having more, more quality one-on-one -on -one experiences with your team members that will help them feel that care and interest from you. When I ask people, you know, how, what, um, you know, What's a love story? One is that my leader cared about me, and, it, and it, they, people talk about recognition and taking an interest and feeling belonging re and respect, and a leader getting to know me and my interests and skills and investing in me. They sometimes also talk about their their onboarding experience. So onboarding is a critical time when we can pay attention to how people experience even before they their first day. Um, it, it can go you know back even into of course the uh, recruitment experience as well, but you know, how they come into that organization and become part of the team is crucial too to them feeling that sense of love and belonging. Lots of good territory there to, to cultivate love. Renee, you just answered the question that I was going to ask you. Literally, my next question was, we have a lot of HR leaders who listen to the show. 
how can they incorporate love into HR practices like onboarding, like yeah. performance management? You just gave specific examples of those. Yeah. So maybe one you didn't touch on yet mm -hmm. is thinking maybe even higher level in mm -hmm. terms of basic HR policies like employee handbooks. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of organizations mm -hmm. are moving away from those, but there's still many that do have those. How do we see love in employee handbooks, like around bereavement policies and things like that? What are some things you work that you do or tips and recommendations you've seen best practices of things that can be set forth in policies and procedures for work environments to bring love there? Yeah, so what you're naming is the importance of not only, we would call it sort of meeting people culturally and, in, and creating a culture and an environment where day-to-day -day people feel love um, and where they experience that in what I would call the moments that matter. You know, moment to moment, I'm, you know, something happens, good or bad or whatever is happening, and I can meet you as a human in that moment and hold space with you to, you know, listen, let you share, reflect back, et cetera. But there's also this, how do I, how do we co um, craft, how do we design an organization intentionally and consider each and each of the components of the formal design of our organization that are the purview of leadership? How do we think about those and make sure that we're embedding love in those with HR practices and policies being an essential one? So it doesn't do us any good. I mean, it's only, it's incomplete. It's incomplete if in the moment I can be there with you, but our policies are inhumane. Right. And so as an example, you know, do we do we allow for, you know, what when I think about bereavement, it, do, it are our bereavement policies aligned with what we really know about how human beings experience grief and, you know, whether it's initially and ongoing and who they experience grief about? Is it just immediate family or, you know, are, do we understand that we as humans have sometimes chosen family that is much more important than you know, than our extended family or than our um, biological family, for example. So do we have flexibility in our policies to, or, you know, the ability to be broader and to embrace who people really are and the truth of their lives, not some narrow construct that, you know, we, we've defined that a certain set of people have defined um, so that we can, again, meet people in those moments with care and compassion so that they're going to feel seen and, and, and supported in a really critical time. Bereavement might be one. Holidays are another, depending on sort of where you are in the country or, and, you know, um, I'm speaking about the U.S., but in other countries as well, you know, different cultures may prefer or, you know, give preference to different religious orientations or belief systems. And certainly in the U.S. and, and, and you know, in other Western countries, hopefully most countries are embracing this idea that we need to acknowledge and, and, and you know, allow for room for each person to celebrate and have time for the holidays that are most important to them. That's kind of a fumbly way to say that, but, you know, that, and, and there's a, a formal part to that and an informal part to that. So I think about, you know, often in the fall, we are, you know, there's in, in the U.S. in the fall, there's sort of this back to school. We're going to do our planning. We're going to like maybe have conferencing. We like get geared up to do a lot in the fall. But that often falls on top of major Jewish holidays. And, you know, I have seen people be marginalized and be forgotten and overlooked and be put in really difficult positions because their holidays are on nobody's radar um, or, or not considered with equal importance and weight and respect. And so, you know, the importance of just like being aware and, and, and creating policies that allow not just for the dominant culture, but for all um, cultures and practices to be honored and respected. Those would be a couple examples. I think the practice though, like, you know, and we have a model of this, we have a, an assessment that we take leaders through, which is like systematically thinking through each component of the organization and, and, you know, we have some markers for what love looks like in those components and some ways to sort of check in on where are we strong and where are we weak and where, where do we begin first to do this work? There's a there was a comment. It wasn't a question, mm -hmm. but this was something that I was thinking of before when you're talking about onboarding, how do you start these conversations with people? And it was from Tiffany. And it was basically, I love this talk. Thank you, Tiffany. But I, I wonder if HR is afraid of leaders asking questions to know about their team members' life mm -hmm. outside of work due to protected class losses. 
And that was sort of why I asked that question. And, and I'm sure there are, and we, we'll, we'll get you back in another time to answer that. But I, I wanted to, when you were talking about onboarding, I wanted to make this con connection mm. with something we've talked about many times, which is the why. I mean, starting with why, find your why, Simon Sinek's why, and the why Institute's a partner of ours, of Jason and mine. And there's a there's a tool, it's called Discover Your Why. It takes five to eight minutes to complete. And just by doing that, we're, we're not asking people what's going on in their personal lives, but we're helping both the manager and the employee, the individual, understand what's really important. At the end of the day, what do they really want out? And the challenge is, as many of us have experienced, when people ask, well, what do you want out of this? And it's like, well, I want to be a good parent, a good father, a good spouse. A good, you know, I want to be able to send my kids to school. I want to be able to retire at some point. Everybody has their reasons, but they're all logical. It was, it's all that logical sense. And and but the real emotional sense is what do people want at the end of the day? How do you know? Zach Mercurio talks about mattering. We're talking about love. We've had Mina Malik talking about caring. We've had so many people. They're all talking about these other things. But how do you breach that gap when people are uncomfortable with it? So for anybody who's interested, you know, reach out to Jason or myself and we can learn about more of this Discover Your Why tool because it's a really easy way within five to 10 minutes for somebody to have a conversation that gets personal without getting personal. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you know, I think you're, you're hitting on something that I think is important that, you know, it has to be in, we love invitation. There needs, you know, the invitation, not insistence, right? I'm not going to insist on you telling me anything, but I'd want to create an environment where, where we are, you know, where you feel safe and where there's invitation that, you know, I'm interested in you and I, I'm, I'd like to, I'm, I'd like to get to know you, and believe that that's important. You're important, and that needs to be on your terms. That needs to be with what you feel comfortable bringing. Everybody's scale, you know, everybody's barometer, if you will, is different, and that's part of that's part of love is respecting that and coming to understand what that is. And starting that conversation is difficult. There's so many other questions that, that we've got that I have, and I'm sure I, I saw Jason writing things down, so I'm sure he has as well. But unfortunately, we're nearing the end, and rather than asking one of our questions, I'm, well, I'm going to ask a question that we ask, but to make sure we, cut, we, we got across what you wanted to cover. So mm -hmm. one of our favorite closing questions is, what is something we should have asked you but we didn't. Oh, goodness. Something that uh, you wanted to make sure you were able to share, but. At this moment, I can't think of a thing. There's there's always so much more. And and my mind is swirling with everything we've talked about. And and so, yeah, I, I, I think we've covered it. We've, we've had a good beginning and it would be great to continue the conversation. Yeah. And that, that's so important. If we can get our, our, our uh, guests had swimming with new ideas and thinking about things in a different way. We've accomplished our goal because obviously if we're doing it with our, our expert thought leaders, then we know we're, we're going to connect with our audience. Absolutely. And thank you to our audience for engaging on the platforms. If you have any other questions, drop them there. Even if we can't get to it live on the show today, we'll email those to Renee, get an answer and reach back out to you and share those answers too. So please continue engaging and asking those questions. Renee, two more segments real quick as we get ready to wrap up. The first one, is called hopes and fears. And so quite simply, we want to ask you, what are your hopes for the future? And then what are your fears for the future? Mm. My hope for the future is that that people will embrace bringing more love and humanity into their work. I mean, that's what I've staked my claim on. That is what we're, you know, my whole heart is, and soul is all about and what our company and our team is about. And and so I'm I'm hopeful that 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 we can as a society embrace there's a lot right that we can embrace living into this really challenging moment that we're in with with care for each other and not in from our uh, space of fear i see a lot of knee jerk fear reactions happening from leaders and team members you know return to work policies that are based in fear not based in really seizing this moment to to consider what might be best for um, workers, for the planet, for you know, and just new opportunities, and for the work itself, and 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 being able to be, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can be creative instead of fearful. 
my fear, if I, I can pick up on what it was probably the second question, is that right? My, That's right. My, fear, my fear would be that we would kind of normalize some reversion that really isn't possible and that we would stay in a struggle in, in, um, that, in, in a space that doesn't unleash the creativity and the new potential that we have to form workplaces that are ready to, you know, to meet people in a different new space. We're not going back. We, we talk about we have to go forward to work, not back to work, and that there is a new opportunity to head forward and reform that, that meets this time and that meets the needs of society and people um, instead of struggling against those needs. So um, that's, that's what comes to me in this moment and what I think about. I love that. And I think you just came up with a trademark phrase there, forward to work, not back to work. I yeah. think you should get those on your human workplace t-shirts. Yeah. That would be perfect. <laughs> so thank you for helping us shape our mindsets optimistically toward the future and helping us understand today that we need to cast away the fear and fill it with love. Not recklessly, but make sure we're putting intentional design and practices in place to help with that. And so leading into this final segment now, we just want to get to know you a little bit better as we wrap up on a personal level. And so we're, we're going to ask just a few questions here in our lightning round to do that. And so first question for you, Renee, what is a favorite song or maybe musical artist or music venue concert yeah. that you've gone to? You know, the one that comes to mind right now. So I just got married. I got married May 19th. And our song is, is September by Earth, Wind and Fire. And we love to dance in the kitchen to that song. And when we went on our honeymoon, we just got back from our honeymoon. We were in, in Barcelona and Costa Brava and uh, across the north of Spain and then in Wales. And we, we danced to that song in a lot of different places. But we were in Park Güell in Barcelona listening to this saxophone player, you know, play in the park. And, and we're dancing because we dance wherever we go. We, we were dancing in the park. And I said to Jim, do you think we could ask him to play September? And at that moment, he started playing it without us asking. And so we danced in part well to that song. So that's a, a little bit about my our favorite song, my favorite song. <laughs> per, 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 perfect synchrony and serendipity, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. And then how about uh, if there was one person in the history of the world that you could meet, who would it be? Mm. You know, it, there are so many interesting people that, you know, that kind of popcorn up. But if I could, if I could meet today with anyone, I would meet with my mentor, Edie Seashore, who's passed away. Edie was a, a pioneer and founder of the field of organization development and a, just a beautiful human and so wise and so experienced. And I had just treasured times with her and she spoke so much wisdom into my life. And I would love to be able to sit down with her now in, in this moment in time in, in history and then the work that we're doing and just um, spend the day with her tapping into her wisdom. I miss her. And that's who I would spend a, a day with. I love it. And I have no doubt I didn't get to meet Edie, but I'm sure that she is thoroughly impressed and happy with mm -hmm. the legacy that you're continuing on and the work that you're doing. And then, and then lastly here, uh, Renee, how about a, a hidden talent or maybe something people wouldn't, wouldn't guess about Renee Smith. That would be surprising. <laughs> oh, so a hidden talent. So I, this is a funny one, but I, I think during the pandemic, I developed a, a pretty good knack for bartending. <laughs> I can make a mean craft <laughs> cocktail. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I actually, I love to like have cocktails somewhere, like enjoy a good one and then figure out how to make it at home. My favorite being a, a cocktail I had in Zurich once that at a cigar lounge and they made me a popcorn blackberry old fashioned. And it's been one of my great achievements to learn to make that at home and to enjoy that. So that's maybe a little, a little something, something about me. I am absolutely fascinated. I'm going to share that with my wife because my, my wife is quite the mixologist. She makes some incredible margaritas, as Ira and Jerry can attest to. Um, so we may have to add that one to the list. And talk about essential workers. Where would we be without the mixologists? They're serving up those delicious drinks for us all to enjoy. Well, Renee, thank you so much for, for doing the lightning round with us. As we get ready to wrap up here, what are some ways that folks can get in touch with you and learn more about the work that you're doing at a human workplace? Yeah, I'd love to connect with folks on LinkedIn, and that would be great. And you can find me at makeworkmorehuman.com. 
Renee at makeworkmorehuman.com is my email. And happy to happy to connect with people. We have a, you know, sign up. We have a, a great weekly newsletter that brings some human inspiration and love into your email box each week. And we do have a an offer for a um, sort of a, a, a free assessment that we, you know, have a few seats for each month open. And so if someone is really itching to talk and wants to dive in a little bit deeper, happy to, you know, have people reach out about that and, and find one of our free seats each month for that. Perfect. Renee, thank you so much for your time today. Learned so much from you and would love to have you back on again in the future for a part two. I'm going to send thank it back you. over to Ira as you get ready to wrap up. Thank and, you. And again, ditto on the thank you. This is this is fascinating. Not a conversation that I ever imagined having on on this show, but uh, we're definitely going to have more of it uh, as we talk. And congratulations on the on the new marriage. Uh, wishing you well. By the way, I wanted to pick September from Earth, Wind, and Fire, but they're one of my favorite groups. But Fantasy would have been one. So I, I think they were on the same album, actually, <laughs> you know, <laughs> way back when. And as far as the mixologist, you. You, you and my wife would be best friends. Her, one of her favorite drinks is an old fashioned. So well, we, she, and I know she was listening. So she may be checking in with you for the recipe. Happy to share. <laughs> it's a, it's a great find. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again. Please check out uh, Renee's website, Make Work More Human. Tiffany, I know you had a, a, some great questions there. So reach out to uh, Renee either on LinkedIn or through us, and we'll, we'll get those questions to you, and hopefully we'll get them answered. Thanks very much, Ray. Thanks for uh, sp spreading some love in the, in the Googleization nation. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for joining me and for me and being able to join you. <laughs> yeah, All the best. Ab absolutely. So much stuff we covered today with Renee, and so I think it's and, always and a good thing. I think it's good whenever you ask that question of what should we have asked you that we didn't? <laughs> and the guest says, nothing. We covered everything. We usually don't get that. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm sure so she'll for, have I, a shower. I'm sure she'll have a shower moment or saying, boy, I wish I would have said that. But uh, right. we're, we'll, we'll definitely continue this conversation and have her back. So what, what was your takeaway? You, you, you usually ask me first. What was your takeaway? I jotted down a, both, uh, a bunch. I'm going to just write, uh, share a couple here real quick. Invitation over insistence. I mean, I was pulling together my deck for Ohio Sherm just the other day and talking about the stuff that we've learned from so many thought leaders about when you mandate things as leaders, that there's instantaneous drops in satisfaction and engagement and productivity whenever things are just being told to people that they have to do this. And so I love that from a love perspective, it's always an invitation over an insistence when it comes to those things. And then I loved her definition too of, of why we're on this planet. Renee said, we're on this planet to learn to love. I mean, that just blew my mind. It's like, if you think about it, you strip away all the distractions, everything else. What is the thing with our existence and who we are that whenever we're done and we move on is the lesson that we probably are supposed to have learned through our experiences and through our life. It is to love. So those were a couple of the big takeaways for me. Yeah, and well, and, and playing to that theme, I would go back to: Do we need to learn to love, or do we need to de-learn what we learned not to love? You know, go, going through that, did we did we start out there? So I think that's a whole conversation, chicken or the egg. But uh, you're right, and and again, everything we talk about with the connected organization, employee experience, mattering, caring, you know, all, all these things, everybody's circling around the wagons, and you know, fortunately, we're we're going to be there. I guess the one thing, and this sort of just slipped through because we talked about fear. I, I was on an earlier conversation this morning, and we were talking about the opposite of fear, is, or the opposite of hope is fear. So we we're talking about fear and hope, and here we were talking about love and fear. But but there's always going to be some fear or trepidation that we have, you know, going on stage, trying something new, trying to explore, learning a new skill, learning a new ability, getting married, what, whatever it means. There's always going to be some of that. But it was important, and this just slipped through, that it's not fear, it's toxic fear that we need to be aware of. And, and I think that was so important because when we just talk about fear, then that's, you know, again, that's a whole other conversation. And by the way, the, acron which, the acronym, which we didn't talk about today for fear was false experiences appearing real. So most of our fears aren't really real. <laughs> There are things that we anticipate or we measure up or we exaggerate or uh, we hyperbolize, if that's a word, 
uh, you know, that they we make them bigger than they they actually are. But yeah, toxic fear was the kind of the the, the hashtag that'll stand out for me. Absolutely, yeah. Googleization Nation, we want to thank you for tuning in today. Lots of stuff here in this episode for you to chew on and think about is how you bring love into the workplace. Thank you for listening to the show and watching the show. We want to remind you, please subscribe to the show on all the platforms, especially YouTube. Our YouTube audience is growing. We're over 2,000 subscribers now on our YouTube channel. So please hit the subscribe button on YouTube. And then, of course, all the podcast platforms too, especially Apple Podcasts and Spotify, um, if you haven't subscribed yet. But until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Ira Wolf. And please make sure that you subscribe to my new newsletter. You can get it at irawolf.beehive.com. And uh, this week we were talking about, can you walk and chew gum at the same time? How, what, what we can do as human beings? Can we actually multitask? So a little bit different than the love story, but uh, we're going to be talking about oxytocin down in, in a few weeks. So we'll, we'll be talking about that. Until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans. Thanks for listening to Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization. This show was produced and edited by Hilton Productions.